What's up, Craig? Um, what's up, anybody who's listening asynchronously? I already said what's up to the people who are here live, so y'all don't get a second what's up. Um, but welcome to Why Am I Like This? It's the 9th of February in Australia. And Why Am I Like This is a container brought to you from the 000 lineage space in the broom and the broom radio. Thank you in advance to whoever decides to promote this. I think it's going to be me, so thank you to me. And um, Why Am I Like This is a container where I hold space for transmissions from a vaster being that I know as no Buddha Elder or Red Star Green Cloud or I'll say like the astral body of the celestial body of Sirius C in the Sirius Soul Complex, which I know as well, I know it as a celestial body which has an astral body, which I call Sekhmeth. And it's a container where questions are offered from sometimes myself but most often from other selves in this material realm of separation and i would say that these questions are often offered to why am i like this as a container because in the context in which they are offered to me i don't feel like there is enough containment in order to make a transmission which i feel would be cosmically aligned with um i would say time or i would say i don't feel like there is a context or a containment which leads to a cosmic time in the body of the one where i answer that question in the context in which it was posed so I'll often ask people if they can offer this, their question to this container so that I can align with what I perceive through my body to be the cosmic time of the body of the one, which I sometimes call Shekinah, or which means more or less like presence. Or you could say... the awareness of the body of the one and the body of the one as a unified sound but yes i'll say that i'll bring those questions back into this container when they are offered to this container and then intuitively choose to hold them in particular containers of this container like this one so that I can align with the cosmic time of the body of the one and answer those questions, which feels really grandiose, but you could also boil it down to just saying, I answer these questions at the right time in what feels like the right amount of time and the right quality of time in my body. And then sometimes we get spontaneous questions, but before I go into the questions that were offered to this container, 
I'll repeat my guarantee for this container, which is that contexts will not be enmeshed and contexts will be disenmeshed and that I'll hold space for repair or refinement with regard to this container in general, but also in regard to the guarantee that I'm making for this container. And I'm also going to transmit a little bit of light language on the topic of mm, rebirth. And I'll say I only allow what is for the cosmic time. And as I cover my ass, I'll also say I only allow what is for the highest and most healed timeline of each and every being in the collective being. This is the one I know as Shekna. And I'm bringing forth a light, light language transmission on uh, literally like Renaissance, which is also, well, it's also the name of a chain of uh, cosmetic surgeries in the city that I'm living in, which I may or may not be affiliated with by birth. Um, <laughs> but um, I'll start now. Mataro satatakanini narak. Niana narat of the bill narak. Tora. Tora. Kalata. Niana sora patanakare and the so karate. Kiana paroma sanakare pokanani shara. Kiera matotaramsa kiana namasora kiana kiana. Kianam kianam. Kihanam, Kihanam. Kihanam. Kara Kataram sotare, Kataram sotare, Kiana, Kiana, Torash. <laughs> 
Kiana. Kiana. Tovarash. Kiana. Kiana. Torash Kanam Nihalakat Sumunarvata Kiana Kiana Torash Tanda na yipsha kotinda kota Kotanda na yipsha kotinda kota Kotanda na yipsha kotinda kota. Kotanda na yipsha kotinda kota. 
Thank you for your patience. So the question that I felt called to pull up for this container of why am I like this was a question that was posed in September of last year from Lexi, who is um, a gardener and a tender in the broom. And the question goes, from your perspective and the perspective of your lineages, how did non-interfering lineages get colonized by colonizing lineages and changing them from within so that they become non-interfering symbiotic lineages? And um, I feel like there might be a slight grammatical error in that question, but I chose to reformulate it as how do lineages interact and move towards symbiosis? And then a question which came up spontaneously in this container from Julie, who is a tender in the broom, is <laughs> laughing my ass off. Okay, so what's coming up for me is how do you differentiate between blue, green, and red avian tech personally? And I was kind of tuning into whether this would be a question which I pump forward into like future why am I like this containers because it seems like on the surface of it to be sort of unrelated to the question I chose. But even as I say that, I can kind of see various points of connection between the containers of both of these questions. And I guess I'll offer that if you're a visual person or someone who considers themselves a psychic person, maybe you can find some way to locate the containers of these questions within the container of why am I like this? Or even within this container of why am I like this? And I guess I'll like hint by saying that I feel like the containers are not strictly hierarchical. <laughs> um, Hmm. I guess, like, as has been customary of late, I'm going to open up the container just a little and ask anybody if they have any reflections on either of these containers or any other offerings or offerings of reflection in general. Hmm. Hoda preempted me, as she often does, by offering dragon's blood outside the container which is spelled with a three instead of an e which feels interesting to me <laughs> auspicious um semantic i feel like i also want to mention that in the past i have been I've articulated a strong preference for questions to be phrased 
when they're offered to this container in a way which asks specifically for my perspective. And it was not lost upon me that when I rephrased Lexi's question, I, quote, denuded it, unquote, of aspects which would have meant that that question was phrased particularly towards my perspective. So it became a question which was phrased in a way that holds space for an answer that doesn't come from my perspective, which is a little bit of a faux pas from my perspective, of the perspective of my lineages. Um, but I feel like that's just like one of these ways that my lineages are kind of fucking with me right now, which is like something that happens quite often. And I'm curious if anyone wants to get into the chat or if you just want to reflect upon that yourself, whether you come from lineages that like to playfully and sometimes roughly and playfully fuck with you sometimes. But I'll repeat the questions. I'll repeat the question in a way that I would typically phrase it, which is like, how do lineages interact and move towards symbiosis, symbiosis from your perspective? And how do you differentiate between blue, green, and red avian tech, personally? Father says, I feel like the first thing I feel that comes up for me about red, green, and blue avians is red, mapping to root wisdoms, green, mapping to heart wisdoms, blue, mapping to throat wisdoms, ashe. And also, Hoda confirms that, quote, my lineages be on no time, so that type of time feels aligned to my experience, unquote. Yeah, I feel like, you know, and I, I definitely feel like I'm going to get to these questions. Before I started this container, I started recording this container, I said that I was a little bit scared about answering these questions, and then I took on another question. So there is a part of me. Speaking of feeling like my lineages are fucking with me, there's a part of me which is like, okay, why am I stalling? These feel like really difficult questions. I'm going to need more than 33 minutes to answer them. Why are you going on yet another tangent? But um, I'm going to go on another tangent and say that a while back, I wrote a thread about competition and the spectrum between, I guess, like, I'll say like the flaccidity of no competition and then the extreme of like war. Um, and I'd say that like play kind of sits somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. I won't say peace because I think that peace is often a container that holds space for playfulness. But I'll say, I'll just say like non-competition at one end of the spectrum and war at the other end of the spectrum and this thread talked about how either extreme leads to stagnation when there's no competition whatsoever then you know i think like it leads to the sort of environment that you know people who are often referred to as like politically deplorable or dissident would call like a snowflake environment where everybody gets a participation trophy and there is no incentive 
um, to do anything which would disrupt the status quo. And there is a lot of incentive not to disrupt the status quo so that nothing changes. And I would say, like, the conditioning of the body and all the social body becomes debilitating, and that leads to stagnation. And then on the other end of the spectrum, with war, I would say that, um, you know, like, what commonly happens is that, like, there's a complete standoff. The consequences of failure or losing are so high that nobody takes any risk or they are unable to move outside of the status quo of directing all of their life force towards um, military combat, let's say, or the defense against military combat. And it leads to, I'll say, a frailty in the body, in particular with respect to the parts of the body that aren't related to martial combat. So if I'm thinking about um, like a human body, I would say that the parts which are perhaps more heart-oriented versus like root-oriented, or I would say the parts that are perhaps more um, expressive or visual, I can, I think, easily imagine how in a society when all of the awareness and attention and the resources are directed towards martial combat or military combat, then there's a diminution of the awareness and the funds which are available for, say, like cultural activities. And, you know, to be fair, I would say that in recent times we've seen the emergence of something that is often referred to as soft power which is deploying of funds and awareness towards cultural activities which have um, the benefit of providing possibly military or martial advantages to the cultures which cultivate those cultural products for the consumption um, by what might otherwise be enemy states or beings that live in enemy states and also um, the beings who live in one, within one's own state or culture. Um, and I think the latter is like often more clearly referred to as propaganda. But going back to what I was saying about lineages being playful and roughly playful, I would say that in between those extremes of non-competition and war, there's, I would say, a lot of space for creating contexts where there are stakes, which are also known as incentives for winning and incentives for not losing, <laughs> um, or sometimes referred to as rewards or punishment. And I would say that what defines play as distinct from war or non-competition for me, is that there are rewards and there are punishments, and that not winning rewards or winning punishments, if you want to call it that, or if you want to invoke the, the um, yeah, I'd say languages that use the word 
uh, like ganar or like earning instead of winning. So like going back to what I was saying, since I've diverged a little bit from what I was saying, I would say that context where if you earn rewards or if you don't earn rewards or you earn punishments, it eventually facilitates an improvement in your ability to play and compete for rewards or punishments. I would say that those contexts are playful contexts. And to connect it a little further or more closely towards what I was saying about my lineages being playful is that, um, yeah, sometimes being fucked with a little bit increases your resilience. It increases your ability to ride the waves of people that don't come from your lineages fucking with you. And I would say the difference is that often when my lineages are fucking with me, I sense it's for my benefit, whereas often when people from outside my lineages are fucking with me, it's more often not for my benefit. And often it's actually just part of war. Or the competition for rewards and to avoid punishment. Anyway, please disagree. I'm going to tune into more closely to the containers of these questions. I guess I want to give a shade again to what Hoda was saying about red avian wisdoms relating to root wisdoms, green avian wisdoms relating to heart wisdoms, and blue avian wisdoms relating to throat wisdom. Um, I'm also curious to hold space for Julie to see um, if you have any reflections for that. But I'll also say that in my experience, the only one of these like three lineages of avians, um, which I would say is like extant or you know firmly established within what you might call like the I'm kind of using this ironically, like the quote canonical or the, the quote canon unquote of starseed law is blue avians, right? I think um if you're listening to this podcast episode or if you're in this container then you probably heard about me or the broom through new age spirituality circles or spiritual circles or starseed circles and i would say that in my experience in starseed circles there's mostly discussion of uh i'll say like a group consciousness called the pleiadian blue avians um, I've never seen any discussion outside of like my neosis and perhaps the neosis of some of the people who are in the broom and in this container now, specifically Hoda, probably, <laughs> around the uh, so-called red avians. And I would say like neosis relating to the group consciousness of so-called green avians is like even newer than um, neosis regarding red avians or blue avians. But I guess I'll say that, yeah, in my experience of discussion about blue, Adi blue avians, it relates mostly to the Pleiades, which I don't think is necessarily accurate to my understanding of blue avian tech in a holistic way. Like, for me, 
um, Bolivian tech was seeded from places like Sirius. Um, and I guess I'll also say Cetus as like celestial bodies. Um, and from there, it was seeded via various stars in the constellation that we call Orion. And I guess I'll like name Regal and Mintaka and Betelgeuse and Al Saif and Anilam and Anitak and Bellatrix. Um, and from there, I would say it ended up in the Pleiades. Which again, like I tend to refer to stars instead of constellations. Um, but I would also say that the lineage of Pleiadian blue avians relates to Earth via Orion and via Sirius in the sense that I would say that when we talk about um, beings such as uh, Toth, Doth, um, we're talking about humans who channeled Pleiadian blue avian consciousness. And I would say that they probably became deified in their lifetimes, which is to say that they, quote, ascended, unquote, or that they were aided in the release of the karma that they needed to release in order um, for the entirety of their spiritual material, I'm going to say like immaterial, basically like the entirety of like their bodies of space and time ended up returning to the stars that they came from and the entirety of the experience and the perspective they accumulated in their space and time ended up returning to the stars or the astral bodies of the celestial bodies which they came from and so became available to uh, the collectives of consciousness that those stars are connected to. And the wisdoms that were transmitted to beings such as Tehuti, I also say um, Fata or Pita, but I would say it's pronounced Fata according to my experience and uses. Um, which was transmitted via the Pleiadian Blue Avian relates specifically to yeah what Hoda called like throat wisdoms or expression and I've talked about this in some containers which didn't get uploaded because I'd say there was interference in the transmission and the recording of those containers that a lot of the wisdoms that they channeled from Pleiadian Blue Avian consciousness related to symbolically representing sound so that humans received the ability to record the sounds that they were making, which I would call languages, in the sense that etymologically they were mostly being um, transmitted via tongue. Um, I wouldn't say that those writing systems incorporate literally <laughs> or etymologically incorporate a lot of 
what's happening with the rest of our bodies or our corpuses in what relates to um, the transmission of meaning between separate beings, but mostly sound. And I feel like the karma of Blue Avians, as I've referred to it in the past, relates to the ways in which we communicate with one another, which could be considered like distortive with regard to, um, I would say, like the spirits which originally made those sounds, which ended up being used by humans to convey meaning due to the introduction of writing systems, which I would say in a way like you could imagine like created like back channels for meaning to flow into or around the sounds which were originally transmitted to us by I would say like the consciousness of the body that we're all a part of. Um, I'm just going to read the chat. Julia said, I've associated red avian with ancestors and blue avian with specific soul groups. Green avian, I'm unsure. That's really interesting to me. Um, and Julia also says, it feels like that's not the whole story, though, because I'm sure some people's ancestors use different avians for different things that you feel. I guess I'm going to interpret it that way. Um, yeah, I think that's like a really beautiful segue to like, talking about the ways I've encountered uh, so-called like red avians, which I also associate with root wisdoms, which I think relates to what Julie's talking about, ancestral wisdoms, because at least in my neurosis of how our subtle bodies work, we receive wisdom from our ancestors um, via the flow of awareness which occurs between the earth and our root chakras, and then it kind of flows upwards from there. Um, but yeah, I would say that my first encounter with the term red avians came when I was in session with somebody and I just got a sense that like red avians were in the ancestral Akash of this person and then um, it related to, I would say like lineages of folk wisdom or magic um, that I want to say, uh, symbolize their wisdom via red birds. In particular, in this case, it was a red macaw. And this was just something that I channeled um, without any like Earth-based reference point. And then subsequently, um, the person I was in session with found some information about um, I think tribes in Central and South America which worked with um, the red macaw as like a totem or like a spirit animal. And then it kind of became clear to me that there were many tribes in many different parts of the world which I would say like emblematized their wisdoms using um, red birds, often red waterfowl. And I think that aligns with what Julie's saying about ancestors. And um, like, what Pod is saying about root wisdoms. Um, I would also say that red avian wisdoms feel like very martial to me. And um, I'd say, like, in my senses, they've been cultivated 
via yeah, I want to say like millions of years of intelligence in our realm of separation. And I'll also say, which might be a little bit spicy, that our realm of separation arises in a logos which is transmitted to Earth via Martian consciousness. Which is to say that, I'll say like the sounds of Mars in our interplanetary medium. So like the interplanetary medium is sort of like this sea of plasma that surrounds our soul, like our, our sun. And, um, you know, like the inner seven, well, the sun, the moon, Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Venus, and Saturn all sit in this sea of ether it's sometimes been called or sometimes referred to as the vacuum and they make sounds and they also listen to the sounds of one another and of course there are other celestial bodies which dip in and out of this um interplanetary medium and impart a sound upon it and what i'll say is that for now just to make it like slightly brief that the sound of mars in our timeline in our solar system creates shapes that allow certain hyperdimensional shapes into the space-time of Earth. Um, and those hyperdimensional shapes cultivate per perceptions of separation. And then intelligence which is cultivated within perceptions of separation looks like what we tend to call martial or you could say it looks competitive. Um, it looks like occupying space and you know, operating with discernment about who is allowed to do what in that space and who is not allowed to do what in that space. Um, and then I would say that downstream of that, it cultivates intelligence which relates to being very specific about what all the what's are and what all the when's are, like what are all the ways which articulate time such that there are what we could call different contexts, right? Um, so you could say that like red avian codes often refer for me to describing different aspects of an interaction, let's say like in terms of politeness or formality. Because I feel like it's possibly intuitive or instinctive for most people to understand that in certain contexts with people that we relate with on a more formal basis, some behaviors are appropriate and some behaviors are not appropriate. And these relate to like red avian codes for me, I would say that they relate to like very highly fermented or highly refined red avian codes, which have been developed within consciousness, which has operated within, I'll say like martial constructs for a very long time, or what you could call like exquisitely polite societies. I'm just channeling this 
And I, I want to say that I'm channeling this from my perspective, from the perspectives of a consciousness called Red Star Green Cloud. So um, I'll say that the perspectives that I'm channeling from are heavily influenced by Red Avian Tech and also heavily influenced by Green Avian Tech, which I'll talk about now. Um, so yeah, like I said before, green avian tech for me is like the newest, I'll say like the newest of the red, blue, and green avian tech in our space-time. Um, I would say that within our space-time, red has been remembered in a way that connects to the oldest forms of intelligence within our space-time, within our definition of time. And then I would say that once red avian, I wouldn't even call them like avian, because like what's coming up for me right now is um, the energetic emanation, which I refer to as hetera or hetero. Um, but once intelligence had been cultivated within what I'll call like martial and Venusian shape spaces for a sufficient period of time, it gave rise to faculties of perception which allowed the transmission of blue avian technology. Um, and then I would say it's only through yeah, I'll say thousands, tens of thousands of years of interactions between like red avian codes and blue avian codes that we are able to cultivate shape spaces for green avian codes, which I think I'll say as Hoda correctly from my perspective channeled um, relate to heart wisdom. And I think like, you know, a couple of questions that I can feel arising in some space and some time in relation to what I just said relate to the assertion that like, okay, like we've had hearts for a very long time. What do you mean? Like how can heart wisdoms be like newer than say root wisdoms or yeah, like upper chakra wisdoms, which relate mostly to symbolic and conceptual and logical expression and operation. And I'll say that, um, A, we're talking about like subtle anatomy, not physical anatomy. And I would say if we're talking about physical anatomy, the heart's actually like, I'd say like newer within the development of each instance of an organism and also within the development of um, like collective life forms than like say the kidney. Um, and also I would say like the heart is part of like a respiratory system which involves the pumping of blood, which is sort of more like root or like essentially oriented to me. And then I'll say like on a subtle level, from the perspective of my lineages, from my perspective, which are mostly situated outside of the space-time of Earth, like what we think of as like heart-oriented, let's say, textures of awareness or emotions 
on what we sometimes call love is like extremely primitive in our space-time and current time. And um, to make that more concrete, I'll say that what we refer to as love is usually just, um, I'm going to say, an egregore which arises from emotional mechanisms and thought forms which relate to securing the reproduction of our genetic code. So like what we tend to think of as love relates to what I will call energetic attachments that form, which have been helpful for making sure that we nurture our young so that they get to the point where they're able to reproduce and so that they learn what they need to learn so that they can nurture their young so that our genetic code proliferates and continues. I'd say that like a lot of what we refer to as love refers to energetic attachments which get us to do the reproductive dances sexually so that our sex cells can meet one another and form um, gametes and zygotes and become life forms and so that the resources that are required for the formation of those life forms to become children so that those children can become of reproductive age and then you know maybe one day become elders um i'd say like most of those are pretty egregoric from my perspective of the perspective of my lineages outside of the space-time of earth and i guess the way i would characterize the green avian tech which is coming into the space-time of earth through many quote star seeds unquote um and via networks which contain non-star seeds or what i call soul seeds or earth seeds which are vessels which have etheric souls which have only connected with space and time inside our solar system or inside our earth respectively i'd say that um the way i'd characterize those green avian wisdoms relates to appropriate exchange of energy as a form of love and i would say that many of those wisdoms relate to shifting collective consciousness and its perception of what we call love towards appropriate energy exchange and i'll make that a little more concrete and say that by way of contrast I think like many things that we're now starting to call like romantic attachment can lead to mostly two people in current time being in relationships where the amount of energy which refers like primarily I would say to presence and awareness and the ability to fully receive and reflect what another person is projecting um the balance of that kind of energy can be very asymmetrical in a lot of romantic relationships. And then I would say that the balance of time that is put into improving and maintaining what might be called like a routine of interactions in a dynamic within a relationship 
can be very symmetrical, which I'll say more concretely, it's like often one person in a relationship ends up doing more when it comes to like cleaning or cooking or child raising or making money or engaging in social activities or paying bills or doing taxes. And because of egregores relating to romantic attachment, and I would say like stagnation when it comes to our understanding of what love is, these imbalances in exchange of energy end up becoming stagnant or fixed. And I would say, again, by way of contrast, that my understanding of green avian wisdoms, which are coming into the space-time of Earth, in current time relate to perceiving romance certainly in ways that not only facilitate more balanced energy exchange but also something a more akin to like what I refer to as play in the balance of the exchange of energies in a relational dynamic within a relationship between two people. Just, you know, I think that like a stagnant balance is still stagnant, and also a stagnant balance tends to, I'd say, like breed an inability to deal with fluctuation within energetic, energetic dynamics fit either of the parties within a one-to-one relational dynamic within a relationship. So, you know, traditional gender roles, for example, um, tend to foster a lack of resilience to changes, let's say, in the economy, right? So if you look at, like, cultures where they have very traditional gender roles and perhaps are new to um, relationships where there are more, there's more than one income stream in a household, and then you take people from that culture and you put them in a culture where dual income, dual income streams or dual income households are the norm, then you often see, I'll say like a flubbering or like a scrambling or like a very sudden and rapturous disequilibrium in the relationship between those people. And also I'd say within their ancestral lineages and their cultures, because they've perhaps been operating within the traditional gender roles for so long that they struggle to adapt when they are placed in societies where gender roles are starting to become less bound to tradition. Um, my, my third eye is going like... Feeling a little scrambled right now, so I'm just going to pour some old space for reflections and also kind of ground a little bit. I also want to say that um, even in non-romantic relationships or what I think are sometimes referred to in a way that I'll call slightly to very homophobically as bromantic relationship, um, but even between um, people of different self-identifying or 
projected gender identities which are non-romantic they can be stagnant and unbalanced energetic exchanges in those relational dynamics within those relationships which we think within the perceptival modes that we have due to the karmic obstructions that we've accumulated within not only our bodies but within our ancestral bodies we think of these dynamics which from my perspective of my of my lineages and their perspective outside of the space-time of earth um feel loving in current time but feel unbalanced from outside of current time and um yeah i guess i'll say by way of contrast um you know i think like i'm gonna say from my personal experience like within male-to-male relationships as somebody who's currently incarnated in the body of an australian asian american male that in my relationships with other males who could be called like white passing um i'd say that like my experience has been that i am exerting more energy to express how i am feeling and i'm exerting more energy to understand how other people that i'm in relational dynamics with are feeling um than the other person is and I would say that from the perspective of my lineages as an Asian Australian male, that's my way of showing that I care about somebody. Um, and then I would say that what I'm channeling right now from the perception of people who are not Asian Australian males in these male to male relationships, it's seen as like invasive and, um, threatening because i would say that for those lineages having the context set such that my awareness moves towards topics which i'm uncomfortable with tends to make me uncomfortable if i'm a male from non-asian adjacent lineages um and I would say that, like, that energy exchange can be stagnant in my experience. And I wouldn't say it's even. And I wouldn't say it's, like, necessarily perceived as loving by the same definition of love. But I will say that it breeds energetic attachment, which is referred to in a way that feels loving by people on both sides of that relational dynamic within that relationship but nonetheless yes leads to attachment which leads to a stagnation in that energetic dynamic um which ultimately i would say leads to rupture and i think that applies to any kind of relationship which is to say that when we form according to my perspective when we form 
expectations which are based on attachment to specific dynamics of energetic exchange, then context will eventually find us which cause behavior to arise, which ruptures those expectations. And that if we're not resilient to changing energetic dynamics, which often I would say arise from play, and even particularly rough play, then those changing energetic dynamics can create rupture. And then I would say, in accordance with many other things I've said about the metaphysical dynamics, rupture creates disorganization in energy, disorganized energy creates fertile ground for like energetic attachment and cording. And then I would say that that energetic attachment and cording tends to create more stagnation in which dynamics of tension can accumulate and eventually cause more rupture. So I feel like if you, yeah, I guess I'll offer the container some codes around like this cycle of attachment and tension accumulating and rupture and how this can like permeate inside and outside so that individuals within these relational dynamics become more ruptured internally and then social bodies outside of these dynamics become more ruptured externally and all of these ruptures create more internal and external rupturing they tend to without resilience to changing energetic dynamics and then we end up with a realm which is not only separate but also I would say like fixed or stuck in a dynamic of disintegration beyond what is strictly I would say predetermined by shapes relating to separation and I guess I'll try and make that more concrete by saying that like even if we continue to op- occupy separate bodies and continue to have our individual consciousness held separate from collective consciousness um, by a lack of certain faculties or certain modes of access to collective consciousness, I would say that it's the view of many forms of what I would call cosmic consciousness outside of the space-time of Earth and outside of the space-time of our solar system that we can cultivate cosmic time within Earth and within our solar system while maintaining separation. And I guess I'll just... I'll say I'll justify that a little bit by pointing to some of like the red avian codes which I feel like I talked about earlier in this container which um, some of us in the broom in the pot have been talking about for I want to say 10 or 11 months in some level of detail which relate to what I'll call like ornamentation or even like art or forms of high culture which can only be articulated within consciousness which has 
cultivated, very precise, and very relationally structured form for both perceiving and making reality. And I guess I'll offer Bucatini to the container and I'll offer Arachieta and I'll offer Bone Broth Ramen. Um, I'll offer Culture Association Football. the container I'll offer flamenco and flamenco nueva to the container I'll offer me chia prada to the container sakai Then to return to the original question, which I brought into the container, and I know I'm over time, this question was, how do lineages interact and move towards symbiosis? Large blue square emoji. Um, I mean, to be honest, I feel like, A, I've already offered some of the, what I'll cheekily call, red, green, and blue prints for how my lineages, from my perspective, see the lineages on Earth moving towards symbiosis in the space-time of Earth, from my perspective in current time. But B, I'll add to that by saying that, yeah, I'll say like within, um, dynamics relating to energetic exchange in the seeking of balance or in the seeking of like a generative fluctuation in the equilibrium of how energy is exchanged in relational dynamics between any two parties there's always like an element of what might be called competition but what might also be called play and i would say that as time has gone on, the extremities that most people end up occupying between like non-competition and war get closer to being like, let's say like rough play on one side and play on the other. And I wouldn't say that that's to like deny the fact that many people are still suffering in parts of the world and many people even in like abundant parts of the world don't suffer within particular relational dynamics or that like you know many people even within abundant parts of the world suffer like all of the time um but i would say that like on a really grand scale like i'll say like on the scale of tens of or maybe one hundreds of thousands of years um the parameters of competition end up more 
often encompassing play for individuals within lineages and then for lineages themselves as relational subjects. Um, and yeah, I'll say that like in current time, it often looks like things are getting a lot worse and that you could say like the conditions of, I'll say competition, but also play appear to be getting more constraining. But I would say that that feels like, at least from my perspective in current time, of the perspective of my lineages, it feels like it's um, a, a transient thing in which like the rules of engagement in this competition become more constraining so that a society which i would say has become stagnant within a chaotic form of order or like you know sometimes people call it like organized chaos but you could say like more concretely that like what passes for order right now in the collective human consciousness relates to a dynamic of extraction by humans from earth which is chaotic, you know, so like what amounts to like politeness um, is actually like really violent a lot of the time. And I would say that like many of the changes which feel like they're coming to Earth relate to um, playfully and roughly playfully and maybe sometimes like painfully shaking people out of those modes of stagnation so that they can as gently as possible, build resilience to changes in energetic dynamics. And therefore, they can shuffle and find new ways of relating to other separate beings, which will tend towards um, symbiosis on an individual and on a lineage level. So I guess I'll pause there and just like see if there are any reflections from people who've joined the container in real time, in current time. I think it was kind of cheeky that I said in real time just now, but I'm going to meditate on that outside of the container. Um, <laughs> but it says receiving and leaving some for others. Appreciate that. Just saw a tweet about downloads during the container which i'll read later um does that feel like a sufficient answer to the question that you posed lexi around interfering and non-interfering lineages and how they reach symbiosis with one another I feel like there's more I'd like to say about it, but I'm not feeling called to right now. It's possible that I'll leave this question pinned so I can elaborate with further transmissions in the future. But I'm really grateful for the question that Julie posed via Pet Bird. Um, and I'm going to close the containers. Um, I'll say like the containers of these questions and the container of this episode and the container of why am I like this are always available in the unseen for skilled practitioners to meditate upon. And
thank you for joining. Once again, this is a production of the 000 Lineage Space within the Broom and the Broom Radio. Thank you for listening. Please join us in Discord via the link that you can find either on social media where you find this episode or in the description of this episode on YouTube or Spotify or Pocket Casts or Apple Podcasts or whatever. And um, I look forward to the next container. Thank you very much. Peace.